Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the speed and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randawa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. It's World Series time, and that means we're all at home watching on TV. But what can the Commodore Rockies organization learn from watching the machine-like Houston Astros? This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, we're joined by Brian McTaggart from MLB.com to take a look at the series between the Astros and the Phillies and find out why Houston's been able to be so good for so long, and if a similar approach might work at 20th and Blake. Brian's up close with the six-time American League champs. Hear what he's got to say next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out Stoney'sBarandGrill.com. It's World Series time, Manny. We've got a, a great matchup, two former National League rivals, the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. I will tell you this. I got, as a pitcher for the Astros, I got my first major league win against the Phillies. Really? How about that? So, um, okay. There's a connection, but uh, yeah, it will be a great There's a lot of weird things going on. The last, the last uh, loss, the last time the, the Astros felt defeat was at the hands of the Phillies in the regular season. So yeah. it's, it's kind Crazy. of a weird thing. So, and well, everybody's talking about 19, 1980 and all that stuff. Let's welcome in our guest, Brian McTaggart. Brian, um, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. And as Manny was saying before we locked on here, crazy busy time for you. Yeah, it is. It's uh, kind of, you know, I got the routine down now, four yeah. World Series in, in six years. But, uh, I mean, Astros are sweeping everybody. So I've, I've had more more days of non-games than I've had games in the month of uh, October. So I'll be, I'll, I'll be glad when uh, Friday comes around. That's going to make your job a little bit tougher, doesn't it? you got to find something to write about on those days when there's no game. Yeah, I mean, I would rather I'd rather come to the ballpark and write about a game than uh, have to find stuff to write about. But uh, I mean, we have so many people at MLB.com that um, you know we've we got a bunch of good story angles and work in the works between today and Friday. Some of them are already up on the website, um, so you know we'll have a, a lot of good stuff before the game gets there for sure. Brian, let's start here. Let's let's just let's let's get the the um, the business out of the way. What what's your prediction for the World Series? I think the Astros will win in six. Um, okay, I don't think, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's going to be an easy series. I mean, I, I thought, I, 
I actually picked the Astros to beat the Yankees in five, and it, it wound up being a little easier than I thought. But I had them in six too. Yeah, I think a lot of people were su- surprised at how yeah. easy it was. Yeah, um, I just think this will be a little bit of a, a dogfight. The Phillies, you know, their, their pitching is going to be rested, just like the Astros. They have that that look of uh, you know, an October team on on in kind of a you know uh, kind of looking for a magic run here, sort of similar to the the Nats in nineteen. Yeah. And even the Braves last year, you know, two teams that in the regular season at, at some point looked like they were dead. The Phillies looked like they were dead, fired their manager, and, and here they are. So and the Astros ended up losing to the Nationals and Braves in the World Series. So another NL East team, uh, you know, rising from the ashes here and and to face the Astros. But I think at the end of the day, Astros just have too much pitching depth. Um, and I got to think some of their key bats are going to start coming around. Altuve looked like he was – coming out of his funk a little bit. Uh, Alvarez had a big hit as well. You know, T- Kyle Tucker's not, I, I don't think, going to go quiet too much longer. I just think they have too much firepower um, and they have the experience. So, yeah, I think Astros in six. I thought, I, thought the, I thought the presence of Wheeler and Nola could really shorten a couple of those games and maybe yeah. get the Phillies, uh, you know, get the Phillies on the board. Uh, so, yeah, so that's really the – those two guys are really the reason okay. to me. Okay, but you know what this really is? Why that would happen. This really is a replay of – this really is a replay of the Rockies and the and the the uh, Red Sox in 07. The Rockies were that team, right? They were hot. They got they swept through the playoffs. They were rolling all that, and then they ran into a machine, the Boston Red Sox. And Houston's a machine. And yeah. I know Phillies are a sentimental pick for a lot of people, and I get that. But man, this this Houston team does not have a weakness. I I wouldn't be shocked if it was a five game series. I really wouldn't. Oh, I wouldn't be shocked either. I think if it was if if they, I I wouldn't be shocked if it was a sweep, given the way the Astros handle things. And um, uh, Brian, were you shocked uh, at all? Oh, I should I should say this: Were you surprised at at any to any um, degree at how how poorly the Yankees hit? Um, I thought the well, well, go back to the regular season. The Astros had faced them uh, seven. Seven times in the regular season, uh, won five of those games, should have won all seven. They never trailed at any point in any of those seven games with the exception of a walk-off, a couple of walk-off swings by Aaron Judge. They blew a three-run lead in the ninth, and then they lost an extra innings. But throughout that whole series, they pitched they pitched, uh, pitched those guys very well, including Judge and Stanton. And I, I really thought they were going to continue that coming in the World Series. So, no, I wasn't. I wasn't super surprised that they were able to, to hold those guys in check. And, you know, their li- their lineup is not deep enough to where, uh, you know, other guys can jump up and beat you. Donaldson just, you know, struck out a ton. And and no one else really, you know, stepped up and, and did anything. Matt Carpenter, you know, anybody else. So there's um, a difference right there, right? Because on the Astros side, you've got Altuve struggling. You've got Tucker struggling. Jordan Alvarez after the division series kind of struggled. And yet here comes the kid. Jeremy Pena and uh, obviously Alex Bregman wasn't a surprise. I mean, Alex Bregman is a, a guy who could perform. Um, but Jeremy Pena, tell us a little bit more about how things developed for him over the season. Because I know with Carlos Correa leaving, he was and he was named the guy, and he did well. You know, he did really well in the regular season. Um, but he's just taking it to another level in the postseason. Has his um, rise surprised you, especially the what he's done in October? Yeah, I mean, he had he had an up and down regular season. I mean, he, he got off to a pretty good start. There was a lot of pressure on this kid. You know, you're replacing Carlos Correa, franchise icon, player everybody wanted back. You know, one of the most popular players in club history. All those big postseason moments, and so w- whether or not he showed it or not, he was probably under a lot of pressure. And he got off to a pretty good start, but um, in the middle of the summer, I mean, he was slumping. He was chasing things. He was not playing well, even defensively. He was slipping a little bit, and uh, and then in 
you know, late August, he, he sort of turned it around. They moved him to the two spot in the order, which I think helped him. But he he sort of refined his strike zone a little bit. He, he didn't chase as much and, um, you know, started getting stayed in uh, stayed inside the strike zone, started getting better pitches to hit and then really had a good month of September, which has set him up, of course, to have a, a really great October. I mean, you know, you talk about the home running game four against the Yankees, but going back to the ALDS, the 18 wrong, inning game. Yeah. yeah. Well, even, yeah, that home run. And then in games one and two, you remember Jordan Alvarez wins those games with a homer, right? Well, uh, ahead of him, Pena got two out singles each time to mm, set up Alvarez to hit those home runs. So, you know, he seems unflappable, this guy, Pena. I mean, is yeah. that, is that, is that a, is that just a stoic look or is that really something that is born out of personality and maybe the ups and downs that he already had encountered? Um, when the pressure he had already been under. Yeah, I think he is, you know, he's unflappable. He, his dad was played in the major leagues for uh, six, seven years. So he's got a little bit of that DNA. He knows what it takes to get there. And uh, a, a pretty humble kid, a uh, guy born in the Dominican, went to the University of Maine. So he's had an unusual path to the big leagues and, you know, missed an entire season of development in 2020. And then because of COVID in 2021, he breaks his uh, wrist, I believe it was, misses that entire season, and then, you know, comes back at the end of the season and hits 10 home runs in AAA right at the end of the year. And you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, we really didn't expect Jeremy Pena to have this kind of power. And and so that made him sort of a viable option, I think, for Correa. And one of the reasons why they were willing to let Correa walk, and, uh, you know, I don't think the Astros are ever going to give anybody $300 million under this ownership. They just – They'd rather find other ways to well, fill it's that. So far, so good, right? It's proved they've proven yeah. they can and, and going to the development side of it. Can you can you take us through give us a crash course on how the Astros did this? Because um my first year with us, we um I was covering then I was an intern, I was covering them um in Chicago, and th- that was that hundred, that was like 20, 2013. And so how did they go from where they were to where they are and what was the philosophy in terms of breaking it, breaking it down and building it back up again? Yeah, well, the 2013 was the 111 loss season. That's when they really bottomed out. That was their, I think their, uh, yeah, their third consecutive 100 loss season. But basically when Jim Crane bought the team late in 2011, he decided when he hired Jeff Luno, Luno came in and said, we need to start over and we need to do it aggressively. And Luno had a 25-page plan. And basically they sold off every veteran player they could uh, I think their highest payroll player at one point was $3 million. I mean, they paid a price. They lost 100 games three years in a row. TV ratings were zero at one point. But uh, they traded off guys for prospects. They would trade a player, you know, Hunter Pence for four prospects or uh, Ruckman for a couple of Royals, Walt for some pro- prospects, Michael Bourne for a couple of prospects. Anybody that wasn't just a young player, they got rid of. They got prospects in return. So they started losing. When they were losing, they were getting high draft picks. They were also starting to spend more money in the international market and trying to be more aggressive there. And, you know, and that led to some of the signings of, of you know, some of these unheralded guys that they really scouted that. Uh, were not on anybody's radar, like Framber Valdez and Christian Javier and Jose Arquiti and, and guys like that. And you know, they hit with the start, you know, number one pick. They got Correa. They missed on a number one pick with Mark Appel. They didn't sign another one of their number one picks overall, Brady Aiken, but they got they got a Bregman for that pick. And then three picks later, they take Kyle Tucker. So they drafted really well also. And then once they had this core built, they started to spend some money, spend some money in, in the bullpen, uh, try to fill some pieces. Then they started making trades, once their their system started to build up and they had one of the best systems, they started making trades the other way. They traded some prospects 
for Justin Verlander, some prospects for Garrett Cole. And now all of a sudden this thing was rolling. And, you know, they did a good job also signing some of these uh, young and up and coming players to deals like with Bregman and Altuve before they hit free agency. They tried to do it with Springer and Correa. It didn't work out. And those guys wanted mega deals. And like we said, they, they let them walk. They decided to fill those roles internally. And so um, it, it's it's just been, uh, you know, everything they've done is probably a really great, great blueprint for a lot of other teams i mean they it wasn't easy they did pay a price but look where they're at now you say blueprint that's kind of what we were going to angling for the colorado rockies an organization that we talked about ad nauseum they be you know dance to their own beat they don't do other things they don't follow blueprints they do their own way but if they were to why would they want i mean houston it's a great model to follow but other teams have done it too other teams have tanked for lack of a better term and, and maybe like the cubs one or two good years but they can't sustain it and other teams, some teams have tanked and just hasn't worked at all. Why did it work for Houston, and why would it work? Could it work for the Rockies? Yeah, you know, you know, maybe Houston just you know got lightning in a bottle a little bit. I know the Cubs tried to do pretty much the same things the Astros did, and uh, you know they had that nucleus and they, they traded everybody off. I, you know, I think the ownership Jim Crane doesn't want to go back anymore. He, he wants to keep winning. So you know, even this year they make a, a couple of trades to bring in a couple of veteran players that they think can help. And they haven't panned out as well as they thought. But even though they're not, you know, giving guys these $250, $300 million contracts, they're still spending at the they're still spending in the top five, top seven in the game. Their payroll is still two hundred million plus. They're just they're doing it with uh some contract extensions earlier in, in careers. And then, you know, they, they give Verlander fifty million over two years. Uh, you know, deals like that are what makes sense to them. You know, the the Rockies, you know, going out and signing signing Chris Bryant, I mean, Astros aren't, aren't going to do deals like that. And so, you know, I well, think, I think everybody's, that's... yeah, everybody's, I mean, people around here, people every, I mean, obviously the the outside baseball world was puzzled by that, but even here, I mean, they just, it, it it's a, another head scratcher. And I think yeah, it didn't fit. the question I have with, real quick is the, the, the Cubs. Yeah. They, it, it kind of dissipated, but they won a title. They mm, won it yeah. all. They won, and, yeah. and, and, and I think that the problem, sustained... here, the problem here is that there's no, there doesn't seem to be any uh, impetus to even get to that point and then deal with what happens there. Yep. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, the Rockies, it, it always seems like they, they're, they're pushing for where we, we like our guys. We're competing every year. We're competing every year, but they never get there. And the, when they had the chance in 17 and 18, they just kind of let it all collapse. And if there's anything we've learned from this postseason, you know, the Astros are the one team that was steady all the way through, but so many of the hundred win teams got, or all the hundred other hundred win teams got knocked out. And it's like, you need to be in the tournament every year. You have to have a sustainable winner. Um, and, you know, if nothing else, the Cubs in 2016, 17, and 18 got to the postseason four years in a row, won it one time. You got to get there to win, to have a chance to win it, but you got to get there knowing that you'll probably get bounced early at, at some point because it's, it's such a minefield with the with the playoff format. It's, it's a little bit like what Mark asked, but how have they avoided the minefield unlike other teams have? How have they avoided the minefield? Because getting to six straight, ALCS. Uh, that's a record. Number one, I think the record is eight by the Braves, right in the National mm -hmm. League. The, the American yeah. League record is is six. That's not, in today's game, though. It might as well be a record. I mean, that's like to to get to the ALCS and get through the the two to three rounds before that. The two rounds before that is really hard to do. How did they avoid getting blown up early? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously they have every team they've played pretty much. They've had more talent against them. They they've been favorites. I mean, I think in the DS they've they've either won in three or four games you know, pretty much every time they, they swept Cleveland, they just swept Seattle. Um, they've never really had 
themselves on the ropes a lot of times in the DS because they've had such great pitching. I mean, they're throwing they're throwing Cole and Verlander in one and two, or Cole Verlander and Greinke, or or Keiko and Morton dudes with great careers and resumes and Cy Youngs, and you know more often than not they have you on the pitching matchup from the get go. I mean, this World Series. I mean, look look at who the the Phillies have at the top of their rotation, but Astros are going to have a better two guys going in Verlander and Valdez than than Wheeler and Nola, and uh, vastly more. Uh, or at least in Verlander's case, vastly more experience. Yeah. So they've always had this high end starting pitching. And, uh, you know, after they won some playoff series, they got confidence, they got experience. I mean, they, they play, this will be their 86 playoff game since 2015. Other That's than incredible. Dodgers, no one else has come close to that. They've been here and done that. They're just, uh, you know, now, you know, they just have the experience on their side too. I mean, th- this is all kind of new for a lot of these Phillies, but. World Series, Media Day on Thursday. That's to be the fourth one for a lot of these Astros players. Well, a lot of us around here thought that when Trevor Story became a free agent, that Houston was a natural landing place. But the way you've described things, that probably was never going to happen because yeah. he was going to want the same kind of money Correa was. So it goes back to faith in the farm system. The Rockies consider themselves a draft and develop. And we've talked about this uh, too. They aren't very good, haven't been very good at either one, maybe drafting better than developing. Talk about the Astros minor league system and how they do draft and develop, because that seems to be an integral part of this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, international is a a huge part as well, but um, I mean, they, obviously they've drafted tons of college players. They, They like to move them quickly if they're capable I mean, uh, you know, Jerry, Jeremy Pena was a guy probably not a lot of people have heard about. They, they got him, I think, in the fifth round. They've struck really well on some on late late round draft picks as well. Dallas Keuchel, there's been a few others along the way. Chas McCormick, who's starting for them in center field, was not a high draft pick. But they've just overall drafted just very well. And they've not been shy on promoting these guys when they do well. You know, they they start learning analytics early in the system. And I think that's been a, you know, a huge part of what they do as well. But, you know, Alex Bregman was in the big leagues in less than a year. So if you can play, they're going to move you along. I mean, when they added Chaz McCormick to the playoff roster a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, well, this is pretty incredible. This kid you know, really is not on any prospect list real high. And, and now he's starting for them in the World Series. So they have dudes in the minor leagues that, that are coming up that people are, I think, I don't know if people are undervaluing or the Astros are just better than developing than other people. But you know, he's he's a great example of that. Jake Myers, another center fielder, uh, you know, who's been left off the rosters in the playoffs. But, you know, another guy that in the late round draft pick University of Nebraska, he was their starting fielder, center fielder in the playoffs last year. And then all the international guy, all the pitchers they're I mean, most of their, their pitching staff is homegrown in the rotation, except for Verlander. And they have they have seven starting pitchers. Uh, the top prospect, Hunter Brown, was taken in the fifth round. And, you know, he looks like he's first round talent. So they've done a really really great job scouting and development and, and finding some uh, hidden gems along the way. It, it, what would you in a nutshell say are the kind of the pillars of strength with regard to their development and their, in their minor league development program in terms of um, you know, we've, I, I remember uh, I was covering the Dodgers when they came in here and that kid Outman came up and hit a home run in his first at bat. And, uh, and I remember they were asking him what, it, you know, how you, how are you guys so ready for the moment? And he said, you know what, they just do a fantastic job of consistently giving us great information digestible and 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 keeping everything very consistent in terms of how they bring information to us and how they uh they they conduct their player development at every level a lot of consistency what is it about the astros from your perspective that has made it so that they because i mean yeah some of it's got to be you know players get undervalued but when you have when it's a pattern of guys coming through that perform it kind of happened with the giants early in the decade last decade the, the cardinals uh, where they just had guys I, I think i think about joe panic or i think about guys like that who just show up and make things happen on a big stage 
what are the kind of core things that the Astros do so well? Well, I think some of the similar things to the Dodgers. I mean, I, I, I think they get these guys jumping in analytically very early, uh, breaking down their swings. I mean, w- one of the things I hear over and over is, and one of the things the Astros have done really well since they turned it around, they don't strike out much. They want these guys to refine the strike zone. They want them to put the ball in play. I, I think that's preached from from very early on is they they want all these guys to be contact hitters. They And, but, and some of these guys who had some swing and miss, um, they end up turning it around a little bit when they, they have a lot of swing and miss early in their minor league careers. You know, you heard about that with Springer, strikes out too much, strikes out too much. Well, he, he comes to the big leagues and, yeah, he has strikeouts here and there, and then he develops into one of the best all-around players. I, I think they do, just do a very job of uh, getting these guys uh, to get better pitch selection, stay in the strike zone more. And, That's and a I, huge I, point right there, yeah. uh, Brian, because yeah. we this issue is the issue that polarizes the baseball world more than anything, right? Launch angle, strikeouts, you know, and it's like what you just said about Springer, that's the unicorn. That's the, or that's not the unicorn. That's the maybe it is. That's the the gold standard in the sense of he can do both. He can hit for power and he can hit for contact. And he's cut down on his strikeouts because it's always been all or nothing launch angle. We, we, we'll we'll take the strikeouts. Well, why not both? You know, it's like a taco, the girl in the taco commercial, mm-hmm. right? Why not both? And uh, I've always said that, and I, I've kind of walked it back a little bit because I'm not a I'm not a big league player. I don't know how difficult it is to be in the box and to have to deal with what what's become really amazing pitching. So how 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 possible is that for other teams? Can 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 George Springer, I know he's a great he's a world-class talent, but can another team do you feel like this is not being done enough to the point where where there there are teams who are giving up contact, um selling out for power, giving up contact when they don't have to. Well, just watch the Yankees. They're the best example. Yeah, the Yankees are a great example. Yeah, great example. And we just saw, and the Astros exploit that too now on other teams. They, you know, know these guys are are swinging, uh, you know, at a certain launch angle. And, you know, you know, Astros was sort of the first team that with Garrett Cole and, and those guys started throwing the four seam fastball up and, and then, you know, trying to exploit these guys the way they swing now. So they were kind of ahead of the game on that as well. Why other teams can't do it? You know, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not, I don't think there's any secret sauce in what the Astros are doing. They just, they just do it better than everybody. Um, So it's just a matter of them. Other teams just not just behind the curve in that sense. And ironically, right. Cause they think they're ahead of it. But we talked to a former player recently who said that the, who's now who's worked with, uh, and uh, it was Dante Bichette. He worked in the blue Jays organization as a, as a hitting coach. And he said, this is all being talked about within organizations they just don't want anybody else to know because they want them to keep going along the way they're going you know selling out for power and striking out a lot but there's an underground movement he called it to 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 bring back the contact and and so it's a copycat league right just like every major league is in sports do, do you think that this is going to kind of spread around now that that teams are seeing how how much sustainable success the astros are having i think yeah if they're smart i mean i think if they're smart that um you know every team should be studying the astros and what they've done and if you look around now, I mean, uh, look at the, the Giants just hired Pete Patilla to be their GM, an Astros guy under the Luno tree. You know, David Stearns in, uh, in Milwaukee's from the Luno tree. You have Mike Elias in Baltimore from the, the Luno tree. So, you know, you know, now you have four of these clubs that that sort of had this, uh, you know, Astros system, the way they've done things. You know, or the Orioles turned it around a bit there. The Brewers have been a, a pretty elite team. We'll see what happens with the Giants. So I think it's no reason the Astros have had, you know, a pretty high turnover in their front office. They, they lose a lot of guys to other front offices because that's another remarkable yeah. thing about their success that keeps yeah. going. You know, I think other teams want to, you know, get them over here and, and find out how they're doing this. You know, Brian, I'm I'm really impressed with Dusty Baker from this standpoint. 
he's old school, right? He's he's been there, done that old school. But yet you are talking about an organization that does rely heavily on analytics. How does a guy like Dusty Baker uh, blend his gut instinct feel for managing the way he wants to do it? I mean, basically, how does he do what Joe Madden could make himself do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Dusty at, at times uh, probably is a little too old school. I mean, I don't want to criticize him. He's got 106 wins, but I know there's some frustrations in the front office a little bit when they give him some information. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And, he, you know, he, he takes his own notes. He has a, a legal pad before every game. And he's got these carefully written notes, which are really hard to read for anybody except him. So <laughs> I, th- I think in a lot of ways he trusts that more than he trusts some of the stuff he gets from the front office. But I think he values that as well. And uh, he knows he's got some very smart people and a lot of them that are giving him some information that he has to use. But at the end of the day, Dusty's going to do what he wants to do. And, you know, that's led for, you know, some butting of the heads a few times with the front office. But, you know, you know, you you can't argue with the results. I mean, he inherited a, a very good team. There's no doubt about it. But but you know, in a I, difficult I, situation too. It, was, it wasn't yeah. just easy, an easy transition. Yeah, I think they would. They thought they'd bring him in here for a year. He would be, you know, a guy that everybody likes. He would sort of calm the waters, get him through this thing. Then I thought they would bring in probably the Astros would probably tell you, okay, well, we'll bring in somebody else, younger, more analytical manager. And then Dusty just kept winning and winning at elite level, and he's still here. That's another area in which, you know, it's really interesting because it seems like the pendulum swung so far one way with mm-hmm. analytics. It's I, I get frustrated when people say analytics is the problem. It's not analytics, it's to how they're being used or abused or right. you know, it's not it's it's how you utilize this the information, right? But Dusty is old school and you know, he has utilized obviously he's done some of that and and he's been open to some of that. And the Astros are having great success, just like with the whole contact thing, bringing that pen, swinging that pendulum back a little bit. seems like the Astros are showing how you can have an old school manager who has who has a lot of experience and feel for the game and have your analytics, too, for the most part. Uh, is that the case? Do you see that? Do you see that it's going to be interesting when, when Dusty retires, because then they're going to have to make that choice. But do you see um, how did they get over the, the headbutting? Because sometimes it just it just doesn't work. And in, in the, in the sides part their ways. Yeah, I mean, and that might happen this offseason. I mean, I mean, we could see I mean, we could see click GM and Dusty both be gone this offseason. I mean, I don't think it's 100 percent that both will be back. I think it's unlikely that one of them won't won't be back. I mean, I think if Dusty returns that that Click might not. And I mean, Click didn't hire Dusty. Uh, he was hired before Click got hired. So, you know, if Click's going to hire a manager, wants a manager, you can bet he's going to want a, a younger analytical manager probably. But look, the Rangers just hired Buck, uh, I mean, uh, just hired Bruce Bochy. Bochy and the yeah. Buck Showalter, you know, gets a shot with the Nats. So, um, you know, while some teams are, are getting these younger managers with no experience, other teams still value these guys that have been there and done a little of everything. And, you know, Bochy's now got another shot with a, a Rangers team that considers itself sort of forward thinking as well. How are the Astros? Um, I'm curious, how are the Astros, in, you know, internally the players? I mean, or how did they deal with 2017 um, with respect to all of the things that came with that, the booze everywhere they went, um, just the, the the extra scrutiny the idea that they were a fraud in terms of that the world the world series championship wasn't legit and yet here they come and they've remained basically the best team in baseball over the last ever ever since then if you take the whole everything in totality how did they get through that period i'm thinking altuve even correa he's gone now but altuve in particular because he's the one who gets the brunt of it now let's just talk about him how did he get through all that and how did he 
you know, it's similar. It's it's kind of a, in a microcosm form now. He's one for 27 in this, and yet he still seems to be pretty even keel, and the Astros keep winning. So how is he, in terms of his personality, in terms of how he's handled the stress of the sign-stealing scandal and then everything else that's come with that to get to continue to get back to these places where he's uh, uh, able to be, become a, either a league champ or a World Series champ? Yeah, I think it, w- it was very hard on him more than anybody else. You know, that story broke. Um, early in the 20, it broke after the 19 season. So the 2020 wound up being the the COVID season, which, you know, was another set of challenges. I mean, he had a terrible season, not unlike a lot of star players did, but I don't think he enjoyed coming to the ballpark in the playoffs that year. He had the yips. uh, You remember throwing in the playoff in the LCS against the Rays, uh, couldn't make a throw to first base. I think it was very much in his head. It bothered him. I, I think the thing that bothered him the most is that, that he wasn't for it. He, whenever the, they would, bang the trash cans and he was at bat. He told him to stop. He, he didn't want any part of it. And now he's tied to this for the rest of his career. And he, yeah, he still gets destroyed. I think he's put it past him a little bit. You know, I think Bregman was another guy that it affected very negatively. Looked like he didn't want to be at the park on some days back there. But I, I think they're so used to it now. Maybe they've learned to embrace it. I don't know how many times I've heard the F Altuve or cheater and Altuve turns on a fastball and hits a homer. He looks like now he's having more fun than he ever has. I mean, even after the LDS, when he was 0 for 16, uh, somebody tried to ask him about his performance and th- they framed it saying, well, you didn't get the results you wanted. And he's like, well, sure I did. We won three games. We're moving on. And I mean, I think that's really his DNA. He just wants to win no matter who it is. But I think there were a couple of years that it was miserable for those guys. I think Correa was different. I think Correa embraced it from day one. He sort of became the face of this thing, took up for Altuve, took up for all his other teammates, um, said, yeah, we did it, but other teams are doing it. And, you know, he's gone now. But, um, you know, Altuve, Altuve, I think, is the one guy who has bared the brunt of it the most and affected him the most. And, but I think he's put it behind him on the field. A week from now, if they're champions, does that put this thing to rest for the most part, do you think? No, I don't think I don't think Levery put to rest. I mean, I think as long as the those core guys that were on the 17 team are still here, we're talking about Guriel Bregman, as far as the hitters, Guriel Bregman, Altuve, I think it's still going to be a deal. But it's amazing, though, how – guys have left the Astros to other teams and it's become a non-issue. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Toronto fans will boo uh, Altuve. They will boo uh, Bregman, but you know, George Springer is a hero. The the Yankees signed Marwin Gonzalez, who if you look at the data from this stuff was using this more than anybody else. And he had a way better career than he had at any point in 17 and the Yankees signed him. So if you tell me that you tell me the Yankees, would be wouldn't want to sign uh their fans would be against them signing Carlos Correa. They pretty much signed the poster child for this thing in Marvin Gonzalez. So it does seem like once guys leave, it goes away. So I think as long as they're in a Houston uniform, it's gonna be here. Do they and, use that as fuel now? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think it absolutely fuels them. Um just just uh, breaking news here. Uh, uh Marlins are hiring Skip Schumacher Schumacher apparently. So kind of goes wow. to what we were talking about with um you know, some teams going with experience and some teams going with uh, this is kind of, in, the, I guess, in the middle because he's been a coach for a while at the major league level. Um, but he's not far removed from that same year. Actually, the year after that, in 14, I was in Cincinnati and I was covering him as a player. So, I mean, it's 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 uh, kind of a younger guy. So it's interesting uh, that there's another one that's interesting, too. So well, Joe Espada was up for that job. Astros bench coach. He had yeah. he had interviewed for it twice, and uh, just a couple of days ago, Joe told me that he felt very good about it. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's I thought Joe was going to get that job. That's surprising. Very interesting. It's an interesting time all all across baseball because we've got, as many said, people are trying to find the bright balance between analytics and old school, and 
there's obviously as, as time goes by, there's fewer and fewer old school guys around, but then you get a team like the White Sox. I know LaRusse is gone, but they bring back LaRusse. You know, the Rangers bring back Bochi. People don't want to let go of that completely, and they shouldn't. There's a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge that, that's very valuable. It's just like Manny said, how do you blend it with the new information that's that's available to all these teams? And it just feels like the Astros, especially with Dusty, have found the perfect blend. They've become this machine that they don't have. They're not a ton of household names. We were talking before you came on the air, Brian. There's not a ton of superstars, high-priced superstars in this lineup, you know, MVP candidate kind of guys. But, man, they are just so fun to watch. They were just so solid in everything they do. They don't appear to have a weakness. And I think um, – that is the model that the Rockies should be looking to follow. They'll talk about market size, but the Astros, as you said before, don't go out and spend huge money on free agents. The Rockies do that more than the Astros do. So well, I think the big thing too is the yeah. the Astros were willing to take the hit at the gate yeah. and, at, and and on television, right? I mean, they just they yeah. just said we're we're going to eat that for for well, three or four years because guess it's going to pay off in the future. Yeah, and I guess don't know what that it the, does. They're willing to do that here. Now it's paying off at the box office and exactly every, right. Every it's a long term vision. That's it just our, doesn't that's seem our... like the Rockies um, look beyond next year. It's every yeah. year is, um, you know, uh, yeah. every Perfect. once in a while, they'll make a big, big uh, head scratching three agent signing. He throws, you know, say Ian Desmond, Chris Bryant, and and the rest of the roster is just not a good roster. Um, not one that can compete for the postseason. And it's always next year, next year, next year. We like our guys. But how about thinking about 24 and 25 and 26 and beyond? And maybe at least think about what some of these other teams have done. Um, especially when they're out there winning World Series and getting to L- the ALCS six straight years, you know, even though there was some pain for a while, um, there might, I think there's something to be said for uh, short-term pain, long-term gain. After they went to the World Series in 05 and probably for the next five years, they they kept trying to live off that and they, yeah. they, they would sign Carlos Lee or Woody Williams and they weren't drafting very well at all. I mean, they had a draft, where, I think in 07, where nobody reached the big leagues from that draft and they just... Wow. They just kept filling. They, they were spending money. They were just filling spots on their big league team, and yeah, they would win. So really, 85. when Crane came in and bought the team, that group yeah. bought the team. Things changed, right? Yeah, completely changed. I mean, they they traded away, like I said earlier, they traded away anybody who had any value or any was making any money were gone. I mean, they were down to a thirteen million dollar payrolls just, and yeah. they were pretty much they pretty much ran a triple A team out there for two or three years and they played like it. Look what happened. Hey, Brian, before we let you go, I want to get your take on what's coming up in the future. A lot of rule changes for next year, balance schedule being one of those, the extra large bases, all these types of things. Um, some are pretty good. Some are kind of crazy. I, I'm the one holdout here. I don't get the, the big bases. I don't understand it. I don't think it's going to help on bases. I just don't, I think that was a, it ain't broke. Don't fix it thing. But what are your takes on all the rule changes baseball's looking at? Yeah, I like the pitch clock. I'm, you know, I I hadn't seen a minor league game this year with it, but I, I all every things. writer likes the pitch pitch clock. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Right, but the big bases. I'm with I'm with you. I, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. I mean, these guys come come up now, and they're most of these guys aren't taught or trained to steal bases. Yeah. So I don't know if, how much is that going to change. I do like banning the shift. Uh, yeah. I know I'm probably in the minority there, and the Astros. No, I think on this, I think more all... and more people are. I, I used to be a, a, a strict "don't ban the shift, don't don't take away" strategy guy, but you know what? It just went too. Thomas talked so us far. in. Thomas yeah. talked us all into it. That. Just went so oh, far. <laughs> yeah, that that you know what what hit me was that what it really turned me around to that, and even other rule changes is baseball. Uh, as much as we love the tradition and the history, it's never been. I mean, baseball was a completely different looking game 100 years ago. So I mean, mm-hmm. rules change, things happen. 
by necessity. And, and I think that's one of them. So yeah, I mean, I'm with that one. The base thing doesn't bother me. I don't know. I don't think it, I just don't see how it really makes much of a difference either way. Yeah, I'm but, with you. Yeah. It doesn't bother me, but I'm like, I, it's going to look weird. Top. Like it's going to be like, I'm like remembering <laughs> to, I'm like remembering now in the world series, especially it's going to be like, okay, enjoy your little bases for, you know, the next uh, couple <laughs> week or two, because after that, the they're gone and you'll never see them again. You know, and what's so. the first? And when's the first time we're going to see advertisements on the bases? Oh, signs yeah. on the base. That's going to happen. Well, know. at some point, uh, you know, there was the World Series. We're going to have Altuve playing in shallow right field with a left-handed hitter. Well, you know, yeah, Harper, and that's going to be to be the last time we ever see that. And you know, I'm, good riddance thankfully. to that. Yeah. yeah, you know, they'll, and somebody will make a note of who the last guy was to play in short right, you know, in the Ted Williams ship. Who's and the it, last guy to ground out to very, right field? Very likely will be, you know, uh, Altuve, you know, Schwarber, so. Schwarber to Altuve or something like that. Yeah, sure yeah I actually texted, to... I actually texted Carlos Gonzalez. I said, "Man, you thinking about yeah. making a comeback now or what?" You know, after <laughs> he, I remember like a few years ago, he's like, "Who who came up with the shift? This Ted Williams <laughs> shift? I want to know. I just want to know who to think about and who to thank every time yeah. I ground into it." And uh, so I told him, you know, and and um. Lou Boudreaux from Cleveland in uh, the forties and it worked great, yeah. of course, but it's Ted uh, now it's kind of like, you know, um, you should come back. And he actually, he just, he just sent like an emoji or something that was kind of cryptic. So I don't know, maybe we'll see Carlos Gonzalez may come back yeah. starting next year, but that would be cool. Oh, hey, uh, listen, thank you so much, Brian. Yes. Really appreciate your time, man. And, you know, enjoy the world series. Very cool that, that the Astros are back in there just to kind of see a team that is um, doing it right and getting it done every year, year after year. So thank you. Yep. Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy Philadelphia, Brian. All right. All right, take care. All right, man, you got to wrap things up here with your closer. Yep, coming up. All right, we'll be back. It's Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. The Rockies never use the R word. It's a word we haven't heard around 20th and Blake Street because that's just not how the Rockies operate. Rebuild? No way. But as the Astros host Game 1 of the World Series against the Phillies in Houston on Friday night, One can't help but think, what if the Rockies tried it? Sure, it's not apples to apples. Houston is a beer market, etc., etc. But does that mean it can't work? The Astros lost 111 games in 2013. They were committed to rebuilding from the bottom up, and within four years, they won a World Series title. Yes, yes, enter your sign-stealing scandal objections here. After 2017, though, there hasn't been one year in which they haven't been in the ALCS, and they're in the World Series now for the third time since then. In other words, they built a powerhouse, and their success has been sustained. We know it takes sustained success, not just a great year or month for that matter, think 2007 in Colorado, to win it all given the current playoff format. So the question is, why not try that model? The Astros won it all, the Cubs won it all, the Royals won it all. It would be painful at first, of course, but with a long-term vision, maybe you can finally win the division once or twice and get into the tournament a few years in a row to give yourself a real chance at bringing a World Series trophy to Denver. Now, we all know it isn't as simple as all this because of the position the Rockies are currently in. But what brought them to this place? They did. The next few years appear to be let the kids play and see what happens years, but not of the mold of the aforementioned teams. But what then? In 2025, if you're still not a postseason team, what do you do? You use the R word. 
the word you should have been using five years earlier. Another shutdown performance from Manny brings home another episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to Brian McTaggart of MLB.com for joining us. And as always, thank you for listening. Bring on the October Classic. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.